Father, uh, we ask tonight, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would please uh, tabernacle with us. Give us understanding tonight and make your word plain and simple. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening, everyone. Uh, tonight's message is entitled, A Force Called Grace. How many of you have heard of that word before, grace? Tonight we're going to discover the purpose of grace. What is grace all about? Why is grace given to us? And why is it so important to understand what grace is? Let me, let me begin by saying this. Um, in the Bible, Jesus told us that in the last days, uh, it would be, he says, as it were in the days of the Son of Man, so shall it be, or rather, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. And when he says that, what he is saying to us is just as in the days of Noah, there was a lot of crime and a lot of uh, lawlessness, that in the last days, it would be just the same before Jesus comes again. Can I get my microphone turned down just a little bit? Well, maybe a lot, because I haven't even started really talking yet. All right, there we go. Uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis that Noah found grace in God's sight. So if I were to ask you, how was Noah saved? In the time of the flood, what would you answer? He was saved by grace. Very good. So if Noah was saved by grace in the days of the flood, and Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man, then what will those who are saved in the last days be saved by? Grace. Very good. So you see how important it is for us to understand what grace is. Let me tell you, to misunderstand grace... Uh, is, let me, let me rephrase that. A lot of people today are misunderstanding grace. As it was in the days of Noah, how many people were saved? Eight. Which lets us know that very few people, even in Noah's day, understood the concept of grace. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. Tonight's message a force called grace. And as we do every night, we are going to do a little recap because it is important for us to understand um, the beginning of the controversy in order, for, in order for us to really get a grip on what grace is. So we're going to do this very briefly. Uh, the Bible says here, we remember these verses, we've been going over them again and again, speaking of Lucifer in heaven, thou art the what? Anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so, thou was upon the holy mountain of God, thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And Ezekiel 28, 15 goes on to say, You were perfect in your ways from the day that thou was created until iniquity was found in thee. And everyone, what is iniquity? Lawlessness. Very good. So Satan or Lucifer... Uh, there was lawlessness found in his heart, which lets us know that if Lucifer was practicing lawlessness in heaven, there must have been a law in heaven for him to be rebelling against. The Bible goes on to say, Thou hast defiled, speaking of Lucifer, thou hast defiled thy 
sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Ezekiel 28, 17. Satan was purposely defiling God's sanctuary. In heaven, the word there, sanctuaries, represents holy places. We're going to see what those holy places were in a moment because God gave Moses a structure resembling the holy places in heaven. Jeremiah 17, 2 says, A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. When Satan defiled the sanctuary, he was actually defiling God's what? God's throne. God's throne. Here's a picture of the holy places that God instructed Moses to build. It was a replica of the true holy places which were found where? In heaven. Very good. Now, remember Lucifer was called the anointed cherub that covereth. When you went into the most holy place of the sanctuary, you found what was called the ark of the what? The covenant. And on top of that ark were two angels who stood facing each other with their wings um, overarch, overarching the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Lucifer was one of the angels in heaven that held a very high, high position. And he was next to the throne of God and he was covering the Ark of the what? The Ark of the Covenant, which lets us know that in heaven there was a covenant. Does that make sense? In heaven there was a covenant. What was Lucifer covering? He was covering the what? The Ark of the Covenant. So he is called the covering cherub in Ezekiel 28, 14. Now look at what the Bible says again. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my what? Throne above the stars of God, I will be like the Most High. And we remember that what Lucifer was saying here was, who do, the, who do the stars of God represent? Angels. So Lucifer was here saying that he wanted to exalt his throne, his dominion, his rule over the angels of God. And then he says, I will be like the Most High. What is the Most High like, everyone? Loving, kind, merciful, long-suffering. What was Lucifer saying when he said, I will be like the Most High? I can be like God without having to obey his what? His law. Very good. All this is very important foundation work. Now, Satan's war was against the law at the foundation of God's stone. Remember, God, when you, did you remember the picture you saw with the angels? You saw that light in between the angels. You want to know what that light represented? That light represented the Shekinah glory, the very presence of God. So these angels stood in the very presence of God and, and they stood upon the very foundation of the throne of God. So Satan's war was against the law that he was what? That he was covering. Very good. What did he say? I don't need a law to be holy like God. Laws are for who? Slaves. If angels are truly free, why the need for a law? Remember God had created the angels free and Satan began to challenge that. If we're really free, why do we need a what? Why do we need a law? But the very law itself, brothers and sisters, was the law of self 
self-sacrificing love. That's not a slavery law, brothers and sisters. That's a law of freedom. How many of you like laws that protect your freedom? Amen. This is what that law was. And Satan began to become deranged in his mind. Satan desired to do what? To abolish the heavenly law of God. Is that clear? Satan desired to abolish or at best make a change in the law or the government of God. If you get this point, I mean, you have everything else that you're going to need to understand this message tonight. Satan desires to abolish the law of God. Now, Satan exalts his throne above humanity. How did he do that? When he was cast out of heaven and the angels who believed his lie. Now listen, beloved. One third of holy angels believed Satan's lie. Is Satan pretty tricky? Do you think he's pretty deceitful? Beloved, if you step away from God, do not trust in your knowledge to think the devil can't fool you. If he fooled one third of holy angels... Because they stepped away from God, don't think that the devil can't fool you if you choose not to follow his word to a T. So, Satan is cast out of heaven, and he comes down to this earth, and Adam and Eve are created with the same law of freedom of choice, which means that they are, they are a subject, as it were, or they have the freedom to listen to Satan, but God has given them the power to resist him. Adam and Eve choose to listen to Satan because he says, listen, you can eat from that what? Tree and nothing's going to happen to you. Remember what he told Eve. For God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be what? Opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What was he saying to Adam and Eve? Look, if you eat from this tree, you will be able to tell the difference between what? Good and evil for yourself. You, don't, you will not need to depend upon God or depend upon some law to determine between right and wrong. You will have the innate ability of God to be able to discern between right and wrong. Question, did Adam and Eve already have the knowledge of good and evil? What do you think? Yes. Certainly they did. God told them, listen, this is evil. Don't eat from the tree. This is good. Obey me. They already had the knowledge. Satan tricked them. He said, you don't, have, you don't really have the knowledge yet. But if you eat from this tree, then you'll have the knowledge. And what happens when they eat from the tree? Well, once they ate from the tree, they were no longer subject to the law of who? God, but rather to the law of sin and Death, Romans 8 verse 2. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were not subject to the law of sin and death. They were not in rebellion to the law of who? To the law of God. Notice Romans 8 verse 7. Because the carnal mind, that is the mind that is in rebellion against God, is enmity against God. Why is it in enmity against God? For it is not what? Subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So what did Satan accomplish in causing Adam and Eve to sin? He caused them to be in rebellion against the law of God. All right. Grace delivers us from the law of sin and death 
and subjects us again to the law of God. Is that clear? God gives us grace. We are saved by what? Grace. Saved meaning that we are led back to God. We are led back to uh, subjects of God's government, which, see, which means that grace is given to us to bring us again into subjection to the law of God, which is the law of self-sacrificing love. This is the purpose of grace. Notice what the Bible says here. That as sin has reigned unto death, that means that as a result of sin, the end result of sin is what? Death. So the end result of grace, or even so might grace reign through what? Righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So let's get this together now. Sin leads us to what? Death. That is the law of sin and death. Grace leads us to where? Righteousness, which is being subject to the government or the law of God. Very good. Now, again, the purpose of grace. Now, therefore, I pray thee. This is Moses speaking in Exodus 33. He's talking to God. And notice what he says here. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found what? Grace in thy sight. Show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. According to Moses, Moses equated grace with knowing the what? The way to God. So what is grace given to us for? To lead us back to Lead us back to God to show us the way unto salvation. This is the purpose of grace. Notice again, God's way is where? In the sanctuary. Very good. Psalms 77 verse 13. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Now let me ask you a question. Which sanctuary is God's way in? In the heavenly sanctuary. Now, you remember we talked last, or or this past Wednesday, the prophecy of 70 what? The 70 week prophecy. And in a nutshell, that 70 week prophecy pinpointed the transition time between the earthly sanctuary and the heavenly sanctuary. At the end of the 70 weeks, that's when Jesus died, that's when the veil in the earthly temple was rent, and that's when Jesus ascended to heaven and anointed the heavenly sanctuary and began his ministry there. Thy way, O God, is where? In the sanctuary. Now, I want you to realize something. I didn't mention this uh, in our discussion Wednesday on on uh, on the 70 weeks. But do you realize how much war is going on in Israel right now that has to deal with the sanct- with a temple being rebuilt in Israel? How many of you know about that? Get this point. Remember Jesus said that once the temple was desolate, it will be desolate until when? Until the end. So notice what Satan is doing, beloved. Everybody is focusing on a supposed temple that's going to be rebuilt Where? In Jerusalem, and nobody is talking about the 
real temple where? In heaven. Beloved, people are dying. Christians are encouraging Jews, you've got to rebuild this temple, you've got to rebuild this temple. And everybody is focused on a temple to be rebuilt over in Jerusalem when God is trying to get our attention on the temple where? In heaven. Now, beloved, where are we going to find the meaning of grace? In a supposed temple to be in Jerusalem or in the heavenly sanctuary? In the heavenly sanctuary. And that is why God wants us to look up. And that's why Satan wants us to look forward to some imaginary temple that's going to be rebuilt when God says it will lay desolate for how long? Until the end. That is the importance of the 70-week prophecy. It directs our attention from the earthly to the heavenly. So which sanctuary? It is a sanctuary in heaven that God's way is in. Now, I want you to notice Hebrews 10 verse 29 speaks about the spirit of grace. How many of you knew that grace was a spirit? The Bible says here that we, by the spirit of grace, are to be led to Christ, are to receive Christ. You can read that in Hebrews 10 verse 29. It talks about not rejecting the spirit of grace. So grace is a spirit that leads us back to God. But if you be led of the what everyone? Galatians 5.18 But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Question, if you are led by the spirit, you're not under what law? Think carefully now. You're not under what law? The law of sin and Death, is that clear? If you are under, or if you are being led by the Spirit, you are no longer under or following the law of sin and death. You're no longer subject to the law that says you must sin and you don't have a choice. You must break God's law. So we've got the question, or we've got the answer, what law? It is the law of sin and death. That we are not under. Now this is going to be really important beloved. I want you to notice something called the throne of grace. The Bible says here. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest. Which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted. Like as we are. Yet without what? Sin. So when Christ came to this world, Satan tried to bring him under the dominion of his throne. The law of sin and death. Did Jesus sin? No, he didn't. He was not subject to the throne of Satan. And so it says, therefore we can rejoice. Let us therefore come what? Boldly unto the throne of what? Grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. So beloved, there is something then called the throne of grace. What is that throne? It's that same place upon which God sits in heaven. So the Bible is inviting you and I to come unto the throne of grace. How do we get to the throne of grace? Think about it. If you be led by the Spirit, led where? Where is the Spirit of grace trying to lead us? 
to the throne of grace. Very good, everyone. The spirit of grace, the purpose of the spirit of grace is to lead us back to the what? Throne of grace. Okay. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says. A couple of things about grace real quick. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, or you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be what? Rich, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. So grace, according to this verse, is that thing that transforms us. We were poor, he was rich, he became poor, so that we could be what? Rich. So grace is that thing that transforms us. Grace also enables us. Listen, by whom we have received what? Grace and apostleship. Why have we received grace? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So if I were to ask you, what is grace for? You would say to me, grace is that thing given to help me be obedient. Alright? Grace is given to us to help us to be obedient. Obedient to what? Amen. It will be into the law. Grace also empowers. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may do what? Abound to every good work. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, 9. Have you ever heard people say, you know what? Um, I don't have to do any good works because I'm under grace. You ever heard that? You ever heard people say that? Now, what does this text say? Grace is given to me that I may do what? Abound to what? Every good work. Well, that doesn't sound like what a lot of people are saying, does it? I mean, it sounds good when people are saying, oh, I'm under grace. I don't have to do anything. But the Bible tells me here that grace is given that I may abound. So how do I know if someone has grace? If they're what? Abounding in every good work. Does that make sense? If I say I have grace, but I'm out there doing all kinds of heinous things, then we know that that's not really the grace of God, right? Okay. Now, the spirit of grace leads us to where, everyone? The throne of grace. Now, let me ask you something. Where is the throne of grace on this chart? Right here. So look, remember we talked about this the other night in the sanctuary. This is a bird's eye view of the sanctuary, the most holy place, the holy place, and the outer court. The first thing that we do when we come to Christ is we must do what? Confess our sins. This is the altar of sacrifice. But then we move on to what? Cleansing. God cleanses us. He, gets, he helps us to get rid of those things in our lives that separate us from him. And then he does what? He says, you must feed on my word. You must study my word. He leads us to prayer. He leads us to let our light shine. And then the throne of what? Grace. Beloved. Remember, we saw the cross there. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Where is the Father in this chart? Right here, beloved. The throne of grace. The same place upon which the two angels were standing on either side covering the ark of the what? 
The covenant. Now, you notice that G there. What is that G for? What do you think that G is for? Come on, think hard now. Very good. That G stands for grace. Grace is that spirit that leads us step by step in the walk of salvation until we finally come to where? To the throne of God or the throne of grace where the ark of the covenant is, which was the foundation of God's government in heaven. Thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. That's Exodus 26 verse 34. So God's mercy seat rested right on top of the ark of the testimony or the ark of the covenant. Was this also true in heaven? Yes, because God told Moses, I want you to build a miniature tabernacle just like the one that you saw in heaven. So this is where God's throne is in heaven. He sits on a mercy seat or what the Bible has called the throne of grace. Now the question is, what was the covenant in the ark in heaven? That's the question. Now you all should know this answer because we've been going over it quite a lot. What do you think was the law or the covenant that was in the ark in heaven? Well, let's read it. For all the law is fulfilled in what? One word, which really means one sentence here. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The law of what? Self-sacrificing love. I believe that if you were going to go to heaven before uh, sin entered and you opened up that ark, you would have seen one word in there. And that would have been what? Love. That's the law? Yep, that's the law. Love. Now, I want you to notice this because after Adam and Eve had sinned, their knowledge of what? Good and evil was distorted. In other words, they could no longer tell the difference or they began to lose their capacity to tell the difference between good and evil. And throughout history, it's gotten worse and worse. So now you can look in, in the newspaper and you see all kinds of crazy things going on and people saying, there's nothing wrong with that. Have you heard it? Mankind is losing his ability to discern between that which is good and that which is evil. Now, when God came down and spoke to Moses, he was about to, he told him to build this tabernacle. He told him to put the, or to build this, this ark. And what was he going to put in the ark? The same law of love. But mankind had become so foolish that God had to do something for them. Notice, for God does know that in the day you there, then your eyes shall be opened, ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. They lost that knowledge, and now God comes to Mount Sinai, and he gives them the what? The Ten Commandments. Now, how many of you want to know what the Ten Commandments really is? All right, here's the answer. The Ten Commandments is the law of love for Are you okay with that? You see those signs, computers for dummies or windows for dummies or, you know, people that don't know any better. The Ten Commandments is the law of love for dummies because you and I became dummies. 
Once sin entered in, we were dummies. We didn't know the difference. And 400 years of captivity in, in Egypt made the Israelites so foolish, so illiterate when it came to righteousness that God comes down and he has to say to them, okay, I'm going to give you the law of love, but now I'm going to have to spell it out for you so that you can practically apply this to your life. The law of love for dummies. Commandment number one. This is found in Exodus 20 verses 3 through 17. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Beloved, what this means, when God said thou shalt have no other gods before me, he was saying this is part of the law of self what? Sacrificing love. Does that make sense? We'll go into these commandments more later on, but I just want to read through them quickly. God says, don't have any other gods before me because any other gods that you have are going to run you into the ground. Any other god that you have, is you are really worshiping Satan in disguise. And Satan's not going to do you good. Don't do that because it's going to harm you. Have no other gods before me. He also says, commandment number two, thou shalt not make unto thee any what? Graven images. In other words, he says, listen, when you're worshiping these graven images, these gods that don't speak, you're opening yourself up to the arch enemy Satan. Don't do it. You will harm yourself by so doing. Commandment number three, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. He says, don't do that because once you begin to take me lightly, you are pushing yourself away from the source of all life and it will lead to your ultimate destruction because Satan will come in and destroy you. He says, don't do it. This is the law of what? Self-sacrificing love that he's explaining. Commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. He says, listen, do not work yourself to death. Allow yourself a time of rest. Allow yourself a time to fellowship with me. Don't be so in love with money that you can't stop and take a break. And also he says in this commandment, remember that I am the God that did what? created this world. Remember that I'm the creator. Remember that I am the one that made you. And had this commandment really taken a a place in people's lives, I believe that evolution would not be where it is today. And so, he goes on. Honor thy what? Father and thy mother. Why? So that your days may be long upon the earth. This is the law of love. Love your parents, he says. Don't disrespect them. Don't dishonor them. That hurts them and it hurts you. He also says, thou shall not kill. I mean, that's pretty obvious. Don't. (laughs) I don't know how much explaining. See how stupid we've become? A commandment that says, thou shall not kill. Thou shall not commit what? Adultery. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not what? Covet. God spells out the Ten Commandments or spells out the law of love in ten different principles applicable to planet Earth. Why do we say applicable to planet Earth? Because, well, well let me say it like this. Uh, you know, commandment number ten says thou shalt not, uh, or rather, commandment number seven is thou shalt not commit adultery against your wife or, you know, your husband. And I don't think that angels in heaven were married. You know, so when we look at this law, these laws are applicable to planet Earth, but they are the outfolding of the principle of that one word, which is what? 
love which was in the ark in heaven. So, listen to what Paul says here, or rather Peter. I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the what? True grace of God wherein you stand. Question, if the Bible speaks about true grace, is there something also called false grace? What do you think? If there is a true, there must also be a what? A false. So true grace, beloved, we have just seen true grace leads us to the throne of God. True grace leads us back to subjection to the law of God, which is the self-sacrificing law of love, which is what we would call today the Ten Commandments. Now, have you heard that the Ten Commandments have gotten rid of the law of God? Try that again. Have you heard that that grace has gotten rid of the Ten Commandment law of God? Have you ever heard that? Okay. This is a very, very strong teaching. Now, I want to ask you something. Do you think that uh, there could be something behind that teaching that is not biblical? Do you think there might be some power? Who is it that wanted to abolish the law of God in heaven? Satan. Who do you think it is on earth that is attempting to do the very same thing? Satan. Very good. Notice here. I want you to look at something else in the sanctuary. Grace and blood are the same or represent the same thing. Notice in whom we have redemption through his what? Blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his what? Grace. We are saved by grace. We are saved by his what? By his blood. Ephesians 1 verse 7. Through his grace or through his sacrifice for us, we are saved. And notice again. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the spirit of grace. Same thing. The blood of the covenant, Christ's sacrifice for us is equated with his grace. The spirit of grace. So, if we reject the blood of Christ, then we are also rejecting the what? The grace of Christ. If we reject his blood, we're rejecting his gracious offer to us. If we reject his blood, we are rejecting the very spirit of grace. So what was the purpose of the blood? Listen, it says, and having made peace through the blood. What is the blood? What is the purpose of the blood according to this verse? To make what? To make peace. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. We see here two things that the blood is for. It is to make peace and it is to do what? Reconcile. Bring together. Bring into harmony again. According to Colossians 1 verse 20. Now let's look at what, how the blood was used in the sanctuary. Blood was sprinkled on the altar of sacrifice. Notice, and the priest shall take of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it upon the horns of the altar of burnt offering and shall pour out his blood at the bottom of the altar of burnt offering. Leviticus 4.25. That's the altar of sacrifice. Remember, when a person sinned, they would lay their hands on the head of the animal 
They would confess their sins over that animal. They would kill the animal. The priest would take the blood and he would sprinkle it where? On the altar of burnt offering or sacrifice. That altar right there, he would sprinkle it. Now, what did that represent according to what we just read about blood? God wants to reconcile us with a spirit of sacrifice. Remember, in heaven, it was all about the self-sacrificing law of love. Once we sinned, we said, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to live my own way. But now, through Christ, the purpose of the blood, as we see in the sanctuary, is to bring us back into harmony with one of the principles of heaven, which is the principle of self-sacrificing Love. So the blood sprinkled upon that altar meant Christ's blood was to bring you and I back to a place where we would say, no, you first. No, you go ahead. Where we would esteem others better than ourselves. And so the blood was to draw us to this very thing. So let me ask you, if we deny a spirit of self-sacrifice, what are we denying? We are denying the blood of Christ which means we are denying the grace of Christ. Not only was blood sprinkled upon the altar of sacrifice, blood was also sprinkled on the altar of sweet incense. And the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation. And that incense, as we have seen, represents what? Prayer or communion. So through the blood of Christ, the purpose of the blood is not only to reconcile us with the spirit of sacrifice, but to reconcile us with the spirit of communion with God. Amen? God wants us to be able to talk to him. Remember when we sinned, God says, my face is hid from you. The communication was cut off. But through the sacrifice of Christ, that blood sprinkled upon the altar of incense meant that God was trying to bring us back into a spirit of communion or prayer with him. God loves us. He wants to talk to us. We go about our days and we don't have time to talk to God at all. The blood of Christ says, I want to reconcile you into a living communication with me. Let me ask you, if we say, you know what, I'm not going to pray. I don't want to talk to God. What are we denying? We're denying the blood of Christ and thus we're denying the grace of Christ. The purpose of the blood is to reconcile. Not only was the blood sprinkled upon the altar of sacrifice and the horns of the altar of sweet incense, but the blood was also sprinkled on the mercy seat. Listen, then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and sprinkle it upon the what? Mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Now, beloved, what was under the mercy seat? The covenant, the law of God, the ten commandments. So what is the purpose of the blood, beloved? It is to bring us back into harmony with the law of of God. There it is. That said, that ark which held the law of God in it, which had the blood sprinkled upon it, the entire purpose of grace or the blood of Christ is to lead us to keep the law that's in this little box. Satan hates grace. How many of you can see why he hates grace? Why does he hate grace? 
Because it leads us what? Step by step back to the throne of grace. He hates grace because it leads us back to the throne of God. He hates it because it leads us back to the what? Law of God. He hates it because, or rather, therefore, Satan is going to do what? Attack grace. Now, what would be the best way for Satan to attack grace? Think with me now. Change the meaning of grace. So now, what are we hearing today? We're hearing things like, hey, we're not under the law. We're under grace. Therefore, we don't need to keep the Ten Commandments. Pretty tricky. Listen. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares in the time that Paul is here, in the time that uh, Jude here is writing, rather, he is saying, listen, there are people who have crept into the church, in the early church, that are ungodly men doing what? Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. And denying the only Lord, our Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there were men in the early church who began to take grace and say, hey, grace is a license for what? For sin. They began to teach back then, hey, we don't need to keep the law of God. We're under grace now. We are free. Because if we had a law, then that would mean that we could not be what? Free And God loves us. We are not slaves. So therefore the law of God is done away with. And now grace is that thing that covers us. Go ahead and sin. Do what you want to do. Live how you want to live. Because we're saved by what? By grace. A lie, beloved, from the devil. Remember Satan's war was against the law at the foundation of God's throne. And today, beloved, we hear Christians saying, we don't need a... Law to be like Jesus. How many of you have heard that? We don't need a law to be like law. Why? Um, the keeping of God's law is legalism. Beloved, think about this. This is the same thing Satan said in heaven. God, why do you have a law? If we are truly free, why is there a law? This is legalism. And he got all the other angels to say, yeah, this is legalism. And these angels listened to Satan's lie. They weren't saying, hey, let's go out and be evil. They were saying, we're naturally good already. Why are you telling us we need to keep a law? This is not right. This is unfair. And they began to rebel. And beloved, we see the same thing being played out in human nature every day, even among Christians. We don't need a law. We are already good. We are already holy. This is legalism. We're set free. We're not going back under bondage. And it sounds good until you understand the sanctuary. Then you say, oh, no, no, no. The the devil deceived one third of, not angels, holy angels. Get it right. Holy angels. With the purpose, not saying, hey, let's go out and be evil. Yeah, now they're evil. But the original intent was, look, we are already good. The law of God. Listen to what people are saying, beloved. How insidious. Look, the law of God has been abolished by who? What? 
Now, beloved, the, the world may believe this, but you and I know better. We've seen the controversy already. We've seen that it was Satan who wanted to destroy what was in the ark, not Jesus. Why would Jesus come down to this planet to remove the foundation of God's throne? Does that make any sense? No sense at all. And yet there are well-meaning people. I'm not saying these people are, you know, intentionally teaching something false. But beloved, we can get into a habit of repeating things that we've heard. Well, we just grew up with this, so yeah, we're not under the law, we're under grace, not even knowing what that means. Who wanted to abolish this law in heaven, everyone? It was Satan. Jesus? No, Satan. Listen, our satanic weapon of mass deception for tonight, grace nullifies the Ten Commandments, the law of God. I call that satanic grace. Satanic grace. Does true grace nullify the law of love? Listen. The Bible says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6.14. People say, Ah, see, there it is. We're not under the law. We're under grace. Are they reading that verse right? No. What law are we no longer under? The law of what? Sin and death, beloved. To be under the law means to be guilty of law, what? Breaking. Now, you, you know, I've heard this example thousands of times and I can't find a better one, so I'm going to use it. Bear with me. If you're driving and you're going 85 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour um, area, are you under the law? Why? Because you're breaking the law. Are you kind of sweating and looking up in your rearview mirror every couple of minutes to make sure that nobody's looking? Looking, you know, when you pass the on-ramp that nobody is, uh, the, the police officer isn't parked somewhere up there. Are you kind of nervous? Yes, you are. Tell the truth. And then have you had those moments when the police officer pulled you over? Yes, most of you have. The reason they pulled you over was because you were what? Breaking the law. You were under the law. The law was speaking to you saying, hey, the law was quiet when you were at 55. You were peaceful. Nothing was, you weren't looking up in your, but as soon as you went over that and you started going 60, 65, all of a sudden now you hear the law what? Speaking to you. You are now under the conviction of the law. The law is pointing to you saying the wages of breaking the speed limit is a fine. And so, the police officer pulls you over, and then you know that you're in trouble, and you say, oh, Mr. Officer, please, you know, I'm headed to church. <laughs> Have mercy on me. Have what? Mercy on me. And the police officer says, okay, I'm going to give you mercy. And he gets rid of that ticket. Are you under the law? Are you now under the law? No, beloved, he has given you what? Mercy, he has forgiven you. You are free, technically speaking, amen? The law is no longer speaking to you, although you still hear the echo. And so now, he gets in his car, and what do you do? You're no longer under, the, under grace, right? Woohoo! I am free. What do you do? You peel off. 
And a police officer pulls you over again. You say, what did you pull me over for? You said I was free. I'm, this law no longer pertains to me, Mr. Police Officer. I'm free. And he's going to look at you like you're crazy and give you a double fine and maybe even take you to jail. <laughs> Beloved, to be under the law means to be guilty of lawbreaking. So when the Bible says, For sin shall not have dominion un- uh, over us because we are no longer under the law but under grace, it simply means that by God's grace he has forgiven us, cleansed our record, and now he says, go and sin no more. Lest a worse thing come upon you. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the what? Law of sin and death. Very good. True grace empowers us to live above the law of sin and death. How many would like to have true grace in your life? It empowers us, beloved, to live above the law of sin and death. So when Satan says you must break the speed limit, or you must do this or must do that, you can say, no, by God's grace, he has empowered me to be subject to his law, his throne, and not your law and your throne. Amen? Counterfeit grace seeks to remove the foundation of God's throne. So anytime you hear something like, Grace eliminates the law of God. You know that what you're listening to is a counterfeit form of grace. Romans 6.15, the Bible says, What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God what? God forbid. The Bible says sin is transgression of the law. So what then? Shall we transgress the law because we are not under the law but under grace? God what? God forbid. No, 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 no. We don't do that. Because we're under grace, we're more obliged to keep the law. Here's another one. We are now under the new covenant and the Ten Commandments have been abolished. How many of you heard that one? The new covenant has abolished the Ten Commandments. Well, listen to what uh, G. Campbell Morgan wrote, wrote in his book, The Ten Commandments, 1901. It says, there is a sense in which Christians are not free from the law. It is only when what? Grace enables men to keep the law that they are free from it, just as a moral man who lives according to the laws of the country is free from arrest. God has not set aside law, but he has found a way by which man can fulfill the law and so be free from it. And what is that way? Grace, a force called grace. Now, I remember in that movie where they said, the force be what? with you. Beloved, we don't need the force that that movie is talking about. What we need is what? Grace. May grace be what? With you. That's what we need, beloved, to set us free from the law of sin and death. Now, what is the new covenant? Well, let me ask you this. Before we look at the new covenant, real quickly. If we make a covenant, you and I make a covenant, and that covenant has five parts to the covenant. And then you go back and, you know, you look at those five parts and then you say, you know what, I don't like this covenant. There, there's a couple of things in here that I don't like and we're going to change two or three elements of it. Do we now have a new covenant? Yeah. All you have to do is change what? One element and you have a new covenant. So let's figure out, first of all, what was the covenant that God made? This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, say the Lord. I will put my what? Laws into their hearts and in their minds. Will I write them? The new covenant, God says clearly in the book of Hebrews, is that he wants to write his law where? 
in your heart. That's what the new covenant is. Now, let's go ahead and look at the aspects of the covenants very quickly. I'm going to run through this. We're going to look at the aspects of the old covenant, the status, and then what it is under the new covenant. So, number one, there was a covenanter. Who was a covenanter? God. Is it the same in the new covenant? Yes, it is. God. Very good. There was a covenantee. Who was a covenantee? Israel. Has the status changed? Yes, it has. We're going to see that in another study. That now the Bible says that it is spiritual Israel, which can be made up of both literal Jews and Gentiles. In other words, anyone can be a part of this new covenant. In the Old Testament, it was only Israel after the what? After the flesh. In the new covenant, anyone who says, Jesus, I want to follow you as my Savior, we will see, becomes part of Israel. All right? There were the words of the covenant. They were the ten laws or the ten commandments. Beloved, the status is the same in the new covenant. There were the tables of the covenant. In the Old Testament, it was tables of stone. In the new covenant, it's been changed. It is now the tables of the heart. Let me ask you, do we already have a new covenant here? Has the ten commandments changed? No, but there have been elements that have changed, haven't there? All right, very good. What else? There was the blood of the covenant. The old, test, the old covenant was uh, uh, sealed with the blood of an animal. In the new covenant, it's the blood of Jesus. There was a mediator. That mediator was who? Moses in the old. Who is in the new? Christ. There was a sanctuary. In the old covenant, it was an earthly. In the new, it is a heavenly. There was the ark, and that was earthly. In the new, it is heavenly. So the new covenant, beloved, does not mean that God all of a sudden got rid of his Ten Commandments. It simply means there were aspects of the covenant that had changed, and we see them all listed out right here. So the new covenant does not signify that God has changed his commandments. In fact, we find all the Ten Commandments right here in the New Testament. All in Matthew. No other gods, idolatry, taking God's name in vain, lawful, do well on the Lord's day, honor your parents, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, bearing false witness, and coveting. It's all there in the New Testament. It hasn't been abolished. What law was blotted out then? Listen to what this says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the what? To his cross, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moons or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the bodies of Christ. And people again say, see, that's the law, that's the Ten Commandment law right there. The Bible clearly says in the New Testament that this law, this handwriting was blotted out. But you and I know better. Why? Because Christ's death abolished the ceremonial law. Listen, remember our 70-week study? And he shall do what? Confirm the what? Covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the what? Sacrifice and the what? Oblations to cease. Now notice this. It says that he would do two things here. One, he would what? Confirm, but something else he would cause to what? Cease. The Bible says that he was going to confirm the what? Covenant. What is a covenant? 
I will write my laws in your heart. This is Jesus speaking about Jesus here. Jesus would confirm the covenant, but he would cause the what? Sacrifices and the oblations to cease. In other words, remember when Jesus died, the veil in the temple was ripped in two, which signified an end of all the sacrificial offerings, what is known as the ceremonial law. This ceremonial law is where people took all their animals and sacrificed. Do we need to sacrifice today? No, we don't. It also talked about drink and meat and other offerings. Drink offerings and meat offerings. Do we need to offer up drink and meat offerings in a sanctuary today? No. This was all nailed to the cross. There were seven ceremonial Sabbaths under the ceremonial law. They were the Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Feast of, Ta- Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Do we need to keep any of these today? No, beloved, Jesus, when he died, put an end to the ceremonial law. But let me ask you, after Jesus died, is it okay now to commit adultery? Because we're free? Is it okay now to steal? You can go down the list, beloved. The ceremonial law is what was nailed to the cross. The the covenant, Jesus came to confirm. Now, I want to look at a couple texts that people use and say, hey, listen, this is definite proof that we don't need to keep the Ten Commandments. Number one, for Christ is the what? End of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. There we go. The Bible says it there. Christ is the what? End of the law. That means the law is finished. Christ finished the law. Well, beloved, the only problem with that is if you look at 1 Timothy 1.3, it says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. What does it mean that when it says now the end of the commandment is charity? That's right. The goal of the commandment is what? It's charity out of a pure heart. Likewise, beloved, for Christ is the what? The goal of the law for everyone, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. In other words, the law of God, the purpose of the law of God is to lead us back to Jesus. You get that? Christ is the end of the law. It doesn't mean that Christ has finished the law or the law is done with. It says he is the goal or the purpose of the law. Look again. James 5.1 Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the termination of the Lord. You all didn't get that. You have seen the what? End of the Lord. Is this verse saying that the Lord is finished? That we, we don't know where he is anymore? He is done? No. It's saying you have seen the goal of the Lord or the fulfillment of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and tender and mercy. First Peter 1.9, it says receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls. It simply means the goal of your faith. So when the Bible says Christ is the end of the law, it's not saying he finishes the law. It's simply saying he's standing at the end of the law. The law is that road that brings us to Jesus. And when we walk the law, we end up in the arms of... How many of you would like to be in the arms of Jesus? Yes, beloved. He is the end of the law. And the way we get to him is by following the spirit of grace 
taking us back to the throne of grace. How about this? Christ has redeemed us from the law. How many of you have ever heard? Christ has redeemed us from the law. Well, the Bible tells us Christ has redeemed us from the what? Curse of the law. He hasn't redeemed us from the law. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. What is the curse of the law? Death. When you sin, the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. The curse of the law. The law itself is not a curse. It is breaking the law that is a curse. And so when the Bible says that he delivers us from the curse of the law, it simply means he has forgiven us and the curse is no longer hanging over our heads what fruit have ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death but now being made free from what sin and becoming servants to God you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life for the wages of sin is Death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6, 21 to 23. One more. And then we're going to move into a, to our final segment here. The law of schoolmaster. People say, hey, the law is just a schoolmaster. According to the Bible, it says, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our what? Schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Galatians 3, 23 to 25. So I want you to get the analogy here. People say, see, the law was just a schoolmaster. It's brought us to Christ, and now we're over. How many of you ever been to a dentist? How many of you would like, if you were sitting in your dentist seat one day, and he's just you know, sharing some personal things with you, and he's going, you know, I went to school, and... Uh, I was taught by my teachers, but now that I've graduated, I don't go by anything they say anymore. I am no longer under a schoolmaster. <laughs> or let's say that you were in an airplane, and uh, you know, as you were flying, you noticed that the plane was kind of really doing some really weird things, and you thought maybe I ought to go talk to the pilot. And he says, "Oh, not to worry. You know, I'm, I've been." I went to school for this, but after I graduated, I threw out everything that I learned because uh, I'm no longer under a schoolmaster. How many of you would, would be comfortable with that? Not many of us. Beloved, the schoolmaster, we don't throw out the lessons the schoolmaster has taught us. We keep them with us for life. So this is not saying what people think it's saying. No, the law Listen to what listen to James. It says, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For behold, he go for behold, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed. In his deeds. In other words, the Bible says the law of God is like a mirror. And when you look at that mirror, you notice what? When you wake up in the morning, you look at that mirror, what do you notice? You don't look too good. <laughs> now, do you go up to the mirror and say, man, I've got to get clean? And do you start rubbing your face against the mirror? No. Where does a mirror direct you to? 
to the water. That's right. And you turn the water on and you wash your face and you do what you need to do. And the mirror helps you to discern if you are ready to now step outside for the public to see you. Amen? Same with the law of God, beloved. The law of God is that mirror that we can look in and say, how close am I to Jesus? Oh, not close enough yet. I've still got adultery in my heart. i still got theft in my heart. Lord, look at me. I'm filthy. Clean me, please. And as you continue to look at that mirror, you continue to draw closer to Christ. The mirror doesn't cleanse you. It's the water of Jesus that cleanses you. Amen? Amen. All right, so... We're getting all this straight. Now, I want you to look at the testimony of Jesus. We're not going to go through these. But let's listen. Uh, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my what? Commandments. That's Jesus speaking. Matthew 19, 17. He says, if you will enter into life, keep the what? Commandments. Beloved, that's Jesus speaking. I would rather go with Jesus than any teacher who tells me, don't worry about the commandments. How about you? I would rather listen to Jesus' words than to listen to some professor, PH, LH, you know, that whole thing, and saying, hey, we don't need to keep the law of God. Because Jesus himself says, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. You can write these verses down if you want to and check them out. Matthew 22, 33 through 40, it says, Christ gives them two commandments, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your what? Neighbor as yourself. He says, these are the two commandments. Beloved people say, these commandments have replaced the Ten Commandments. No, they haven't. If you look at the first stone, you will notice that the first four commandments we looked at are things that a person does if they love who? God. And the last six relate to your neighbor. So when Jesus gives us those two commandments, he is summing up the ten. Amen? All right. What about the testimony of Paul? Romans 2.13, Paul says the doers of the law shall be justified. Romans 3.31, he says we establish the law. That doesn't sound like um, getting rid of it to me. Romans 7.12, he says the law is holy and good. Romans 8 verse 4 and 7, he says the righteousness of the law is to be fulfilled in us. And then he says the carnal mind is enmity against the law of God. In other words, the carnal mind doesn't want to keep it. Testimony of James, whoso shall keep the whole law and yet offend in how many? One point he is guilty of how much? All, for he that said do not commit adultery said also do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. If you read the testimony of John, in 1 John, hereby we do know that we know him if we what? Keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's 1 John 2, 3, and 4. Again, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. All right, beloved. We have a quiz tomorrow. You need to prepare for this quiz. This is your quiz. Listen now, you've got to follow this, okay? If you're getting weary, just wake up just a little longer. You got, if you come unprepared for this quiz, I will know. All right. Revelation Star Wars. Listen, the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which do what? Keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. When you decide to keep the law of God, Satan is going to get what? Angry. That's who the war is between. What did Satan say? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my what? 
throne above the stars of God, I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the side, in the side of the north. Isaiah 14, 13. Satan is trying to find a way to exalt his throne over who? Over who? Over you. Okay, I didn't hear that. Very good. He's trying to find a way to exalt his throne over each and every one of us. How is he going to try to do that? We remember the little horn, speaking of the Antichrist, who Satan works through. It says, he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change, to do what? Change times and laws. Daniel 7.25. Satan would work through this power to attempt to change laws. Whose laws? God's laws. Why would he do something like that? If he can change God's law and have you follow that change law, whose throne are you under? Does that make sense? Watch this. Your quiz is coming up. Listen. The Bible says her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Talking about false prophets. Her priests have polluted the what? Sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. So how do we pollute the sanctuary? By doing what? Violence to the law. Speaking of that same little horn, it says, And out of one of them came forth a little horn, and it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast on some of the hosts and other stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself, this Antichrist, magnifies himself to the prince of the host, that's Jesus. And by him, that is Antichrist, the daily sacrifice was taken away. And the place of his what? Sanctuary was, was what? Cast down. Satan it will attempt to cast down Christ's sanctuary or pollute it. How? How? By doing violence to the law. Doing violence to the law, how? By thinking to what? Change times and laws. Okay, I just went back three slides. Let me do this quickly. Listen. It says, same little horn, and arms shall stand on his part, and they shall do what? Pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he, the Antichrist, corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The people who can't be deceived, the people who understand the sanctuary, will not be fooled by Satan's polluting the sanctuary by changing the law. My covenant, look at what God says, my covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. In other words, God says, I'm not going to alter my covenant, but Satan's purpose is to think to Change times and laws. And look at this powerful verse, beloved. Here is your quiz. Shall the throne of iniquity, whose throne would that be? Satan's. Watch this now. Shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee, which frameth mischief by a law? Psalms 94.20. What is Satan going to do here? Here's his diabolical plan. Slip into the law of God a commandment that seems to be in 
honor of God, even done by God, changed by God, but is really in honor of who? Satan, done by Satan. Frame mischief by what? By law. Is that cunning? I mean, if the devil could get in and change laws to make most of humanity think, oh, this must be a law of God. This is a law that everyone is following. This must be something good. This must be something that God has done himself. Satan has successfully exalted his throne above you. But there will be a people, the Bible says, here is a patient of the saints, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Your quiz for tomorrow is this. I want you to go home and look at the Ten Commandments. And I want you to think, and think hard. Read those commandments, and think hard. Which one of these commandments, or two, could the devil possibly try to subtly change so that we wouldn't notice it. Does that sound like a good homework assignment? Think hard, beloved. And I want to find out what you say to me tomorrow. My last question, my last slide. Is the grace with you? Look at how the Bible ends. Blessed are they that do his, what? Commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. And then it ends by saying, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. It is by grace that we enter in. Because grace allows us to keep the law. And Satan's purpose is to change his law. And to deceive you with false grace. Beloved, the question tonight, do you have the grace of God? Do you want the grace of God, Athena?